0: It is always wonderful to see each and every one of you here today. Today, of course, uh, this is our week of Thanksgiving. Uh, It's Thanksgiving week, and it's always good uh, to be reminded in the busyness and and the hectic uh, lives that we lead to just pause, to to stop, and to give thanks to the Lord. And so I'm always thankful for this time of year to be reminded to do just that. In the early days of America, uh, there was a, a circuit preacher... If you've not heard of that before, a circuit preacher, I uh, was typical, especially in the pioneer days, that uh, different towns or communities, each one would have a church, period, at best. Uh, but what they would not have is any kind of pastor or preacher to their own. And so each community would have a church, and there would be what are called circuit preachers that would travel from, uh, from town to town, and, and they would preach then, uh, as they arrived in that town, and so for us today, it'd be like if Murfreesboro had a, a single church, and Smyrna had a church, and and Woodbury had a church, and Shelbyville had a single church, and and then I might preach uh, in Murfreesboro on Sunday morning, and Smyrna on Sunday night, and Shelbyville on Monday morning, and Woodbury on Tuesday morning, and so that's kind of the way it would be, and so uh, even in some parts of rural America today, we still. See uh, the use of circuit preachers uh, because uh, individual churches just uh, can't have a preacher all to themselves. See how blessed you are, right? Just, oh, you get, you get all of them. Isn't that great? Um, that was common in those days. Well, this circuit preacher in particular, he was kind of convicted about what I was sharing earlier, of uh, just not um, giving thanks uh, often enough to the Lord. And so, since he spent a lot of time in the saddle on, on his horse, uh, he decided he would train it to respond to thank the Lord for giddy up, and then hallelujah for woe. Alleluia just means praise the Lord, right? So thank the Lord for giddy up, and hallelujah for, for woe or stop. And after uh, months of training his horse, the, the horse adapted to it, and, and every time he would get on his horse, he would say, thank the Lord. And the the horse would would just gallop away, right? And then he would spend that entire time just sharing all the things that he was thankful for the Lord for. When he arrived where he wanted to go, he would cry out, Hallelujah! And the horse would come to an immediate stop. It it worked perfect. One day, however, he was traveling between towns and, and he was on the road and there was a rattlesnake at the edge of the road. That snake struck out at his horse, and when it did, it reared up. And uh, this poor preacher, man, he was hanging on for dear life, but that horse just took off running full speed, right? Got off the road because that's where the snake was and and just started running through the wilderness. And, And the next thing you know, this preacher looks up, and his horse is headed right for an enormous cliff. Well, in his panic, he could not remember his word for woe. He began crying out everything, halt, stop, Whoa, probably some stuff I can't repeat today too. And uh, finally, uh, just before he thinks it's too late, he remembers and he, he, he cries out, hallelujah. And the horse came to a screeching halt right at the edge, literally just inches from the edge of the cliff. Well, he was so thankful that, that, that God had spared his life. He looks up and says, thank you, God. Thank the Lord. Too. It'll hit you later. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, well, it, like I said, j- j- just marinate on it for a little while. My kids tell me every year, Dad, don't tell any Thanksgiving jokes, right? Just don't do it. Uh, but that's not something I can quit cold turkey, you know? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, right. From bad to worse. Uh, well, hey, speaking of being thankful, let, let, let me share this with you. Today, we want to launch uh, what we're referring to as our blessings offering for our missions Partners. That's a mouthful, but uh, you can find information about that on the church app. If you opened it up this morning, you can go to our website. Uh, but here's what it is we want to take an opportunity to be a special blessing to some of our ministry partners and mission partners that, that we work with directly. Uh, and so, what we're asking for the next two weeks, I just want to give you the opportunity uh, to share. A blessing with them. In this way, we're going to take an offering uh, from now until uh, next Sunday, and anything that is given, anything that is designated either through the website, the app, or uh, you can write it on a check or an envelope and place it in one of our offering boxes at the close of the service, anything given, every dollar, every penny will will leave this place and go to just be a blessing to our mission partners. Now, uh, at Northside, our missiology is this. We partner with Church planters uh, or existing uh, churches in communities, and of course, in our community, we are that church, and so we partner with uh, several local ministries here, like Isaiah Greenhouse that we recently did, uh, Liberty Station, and Portico are some of our local ministry partners. And so, what we want to do though, we give to our missions partners uh, each month as a church, we want to do a special gift. Uh, for the leaders, for those church planters, for, uh, for those who are sacrificing of uh, themselves and their family in order to lead these ministries. And so it's actually going to go directly to them uh, before Christmas as just a blessings gift to them. So uh, if you would like to participate in that, maybe you just say, listen, Uh, Now, I've been awful blessed this year, and I want to be a blessing to someone else that I would encourage you to give. Hey, listen, this is above and beyond your regular tithe, and you are such a giving church, and and, and if you don't have the resources, you should feel no guilt whatsoever. Uh, But every penny that is given, what we're going to do is we're going to collect all that for the next uh, just over a week, and then the amount that is given will determine how much we give out, but also uh, how far we take that. We'll begin here local with our local missions partners and then we'll take that out uh, stateside throughout our nation to, to Ohio, to our church plant in South Dakota. Then from there, uh, uh, possibly even California if there's sufficient uh, gifts, uh, offerings given. Then we'll take that even internationally uh, into Moldova and Nigeria and elsewhere. So whatever amount is given, we'll then determine how far that will carry out through all of our missions partners and the amount that we share with each one of them. And in a couple weeks, I'll share with you then how we were a blessing to each of them. So I hope you'll take an opportunity to participate that. Again, you'll have uh, this week and next Sunday as well to consider and pray about uh, any gift that you may feel comfortable doing. With that said, we're going to jump into our study this morning. We're continuing in our study in the minors, and we find ourselves now in that well-known book of Zephaniah, right? I know you go there often in your quiet and devotion time. Uh, but let's jump in this morning. Zephaniah chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, all the text and a place for notes are in the church app if you want to open that up this morning, or you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Zephaniah. And I'll begin reading at verse 1 and chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of of Judah. Now that'll bless you in your devotional time, won't it, right? Um, but when I want to go ahead and stop there in a reading. It. And once again, uh, we, we have this minor prophet Zephaniah who has a major prophecy that you're going to see unfolded over the next few chapters. Like its predecessors, Joel, Nahum, and Habakkuk that we've already looked at, uh, Zephaniah is also three chapters long. But Zephaniah's verse 1, as they each gave us just a little bit of detail about who the author was, Zephaniah's verse 1 gives us far more information than Joel, Nahum, or Habakkuk, uh, any of them. Uh, What we see here is he was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah king hezekiah was the king of judah remember uh, following solomon that the kingdom was split of israel you had israel to the north and and judah to the south and so he was the the king then of judah in second kings chapter 18 verses 5 and 6 says this about hezekiah hezekiah relied on the lord god of israel not one of the kings of judah was like him neither before him or after him he remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord God had commanded Moses. So what we see a couple of things here uh, about Zephaniah as we jump in, it being uh, the, the great-great-grandson then of Hezekiah, he, he was uh, from noble lineage, right? His great-great-grandfather was, was, was a prominent king of Judah. But not only was he of noble lineage, but, but also very faithful lineage. Uh, he was a king like no other. It say, in fact, it says there, there was no one ever before him or like him when it came to following and pleasing the Lord his God. It, it, it was... Um, it also notable that uh, he reigned, it says, during Josiah's reign. Uh, that means that he prophesied uh, during uh, the, the, the year around 625 B.C., so that would be shortly after Habakkuk that we looked at last week. In fact, 2 Kings 22 also says this about Josiah, that, that he also did what was right in the sight of the Lord and neither turned to the right or to the left, but also followed God's commands. Not only that, we know from history that, uh, that it was Josiah who literally removed all the foreign idols and, and cleansed the temple of God. One other note before we jump in, Zephaniah's name, as we study that, means this, Jehovah or the Lord hides. His name means Jehovah hides, the Lord hides, God hides. And we're going to see how that plays out through his uh, prophecy in the chapters ahead. Now, with all that said, then you would think, man, this must be a great time in Judah. I mean, great-great-granddad did an incredible job, walked with the Lord. And, and now during this time of Josiah, Josiah has, has cleansed the temple. This must be a beautiful time in, uh, in Judah's history. Well, let's keep reading verse 2. I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will sweep away people and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the residents of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of the southern kingdom of Judah. I will cut off every vestige of Baal from this place the names of the pagan priests along with the priests, those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the stars in the sky, those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge Lord loyalty to Milcom, and those who turn back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Well, man, I'll tell you what, Zephaniah comes out swinging, doesn't he? I mean, I guess you'd say God came out sweeping, right? But, but man, he comes, he, he's throwing it at them. This wasn't a great time in Judah's history at all. And you say, well, preacher, how, in a, how are you going to get a Thanksgiving message out of that, right? Well, be thankful you weren't alive in 625 B.C. <laughs> That's a rough time. But no, I think we will see that play out. Um, so, so what had happened? I mean, with all this... Josiah's efforts, that they were commendable, but also were, were futile. He had done all he could. He, he had shared uh, about God. He had cleansed the temple, and yet the people still turned from God. You remember a couple weeks ago when we were in Nahum, and we jumped back to the book of Jonah, and I said, uh, Nineveh had experienced probably the the greatest revival this world has ever known. Even the king turned to God, and, uh, and man, they proclaimed a fast, even made the animals fast. I mean, that was some kind of proclamation. That that was some kind of of revival and great awakening. And yet, what did we learn? It it lasted one generation. That was it, just one generation, and everybody had turned wicked again. And so, unfortunately, here what we see is the Jews had become entrenched in idolatry. And worship, it says, of all these false gods, it calls out this one Milcom. Now, what you need to know about Milcom, Milcom was an uh, Ammonite god. They believed possibly a king of the Ammonites at one point, but they, they worshipped this, this idea or image of him, this god. And it was such a heathen, pagan worship that they actually would sacrifice humans to this God. That's how how bad even the the Jewish people who who began to worship Milcom along with God. And so God finally says, I've had enough. That's it. I mean, we see five I wills right here. I I will do this. I will will sweep the people away. I will cut off mankind. I, I will stretch out my hand. All of these things. God says, I'm done. And here's what I'm about to do. In fact, throughout all of Zephaniah, you're going to see more than 20 times where God speaks directly and says, I will do this, or or, God will do this, the Lord will do this. It's an incredible book of judgment. Verses 4 and 5 then there, he calls out both Judah and Jerusalem specifically by name. And so he's speaking to the Jews that had either walked away from the faith, had walked away from God altogether, or at best were... Syncretistic in their worship of God. Right? They, 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 they were syncretistic, meaning this, that uh, they continued in their worship of God. They went to that temple that was cleansed out and they liked the festivals. They liked the feasts. They liked the good things they got out of that. They loved to hear the stories of the great Exodus. They wanted the God in their life that would part seas. Uh, right? They, they, they wanted that, that. They enjoyed that. But just down the road, there's this other altar. This altar to this God is called Diana. And she's the goddess of sex. Well, man, I tell you what, I, I kind of like me some of that too. And then uh, over here, uh, we have uh, another place to worship. And, uh, and here I worship the, uh, the God of wealth. Well, well I kind of like that too. And so they begin to dabble in all these different areas. And God says, I've had enough. And friends, I wonder, would God look at us today? And he said, you know, they're syncretistic in their worship. Oh, they, they worship me on Sunday mornings. Hey, man, we're singing, hands raised, we're, we're all in. But then come Monday, they're, they're over here at this idol. They're, they're, they're worshiping at that, that idol of pornography. They're, they're worshiping over there at that, that, that idol of wealth. They're, where do we worship? And, and, and would we fall into this same place? And you say, yeah, but David, I, I mean, that Milcom, the man, they worshiped at a place they were sacrificing humans. You know what's interesting, uh, typically in human sacrifice, what you'll find, do you know who was sacrificed? The children. It was always the children. They wouldn't put up a fight, right? It was the children who were considered more more pure and and a better sacrifice. Well, I'm going to tell you something, parents. Listen, when we go to those other altars, that's exactly what we're sacrificing to. Wealth and and sex and and all these things that, that drive divorce. And listen, in divorce, who gets the raw end of the deal every time? It's the kids. And what drives us to that place? It's money. It's sex. It's all these other gods that we desire to worship along with God on Sunday morning. I wonder, would God say that about us? Well, the book of Zephaniah deals with God's judgment not only on Jerusalem. We see here it also includes God's judgment on the nations surrounding Jerusalem. And in verse 3, it gives us this picture. It says that this judgment that will come, is a reverse of his creation, right? He's basically going to undo the world that he created. These are undue creation. And he says, This time, everyone and everything. Do you see that? The people and the animals. Everybody's included. Even the fish. Did you notice it spells out the fish in this one? Now you think, well, at least in the flood of Noah, the fish made it, right? At least we think. You know, I understand there was salt water, there was fresh water. The water's mixed and we're salinated. And I understand that. But probably in the deepest parts of the sea, the saltwater fish survive. he says, not this time. I'm going to completely undo everything. Sometimes I get in trouble when I go down this road. Um, But anyway, um, I think one of the ways that if we're not careful we become synchronistic also is when we look to creation and we begin to worship it more than we worship the creator himself now hear me clearly before the emails come in and the text messages start beeping uh, i believe we should be stewards of our land i do i'm all about recycling i'm all about taking care of things I, i'm all about taking i, I believe me I believe in being a steward of all that God has given us. I believe He commanded us that in Genesis. But I want to tell you something I see else, a lot of people that get that, that beyond that and into worshiping the creation itself. And can I tell you something? God's this place is going down. Man's best efforts, and listen, hey, we're polishing the rails on the Titanic as she's going underwater. He's going to redo this whole thing. We need to be good stewards while we're here, but we can't fix what's broken. God says, one day, I'm coming back, and I'm going to fix it all. As if 1-7, the first part there, it says this, when this time comes, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Now I like that because he reminds me that he's going to come, and at that time, he, there's going to be a, a cry to be silent in God's presence. It, it's kind of like when the bailiff in the courtroom, uh, the, the, when, when the judge enters, what does he cry out? All rise, right? And at that moment, hey, there's a lot of important people in that in that courtroom, right? I mean, you got you got officers, you have got police man, you you've got attorneys, you got you got all you got some important people. Sometimes different delegates. Or there's important people in that in in that courtroom. But when the judge comes in, they ain't but one judge, and when he comes in, all the conversations cease and everybody rises in his presence. Why? Because the judge is the boss. Well, it's that same picture that Zephaniah gives us here, that, that when Christ returns, there'll be no more conversation. There'll be no one else of, of any importance in the presence of God Almighty himself. All <laughs> will rise. It says in that, that day of the Lord. you remember when we, when we we're in the book of Joel? And Joel repeatedly used that same terminology, the day of the Lord. In fact, I used that in chapters 1, 2, and 3 for our, uh, for our outline. The past day of the Lord, the future day of the Lord, and the final day of the Lord. Uh, for him, he referenced a past day of the Lord when the locusts ate up all the crops and everything else. And he used that to reference the, the future days of the Lord. Now, when the, when the invading armies would come like the locusts did to destroy everything. Well, Zephaniah also uses this day of the Lord. In fact, it, it's referenced in, in all three chapters uh, throughout his entire book of prophecy. Now, for him, he is referencing all future. He's referencing the, the, the coming Babylonian exile. That will happen in 586 B.C., uh, not long after he passes. The time when, when Nebuchadnezzar comes and, and takes over all of Judah. It also references that end of Daniel's 70th week uh, following the, the, the seven years of tribulation, that, 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 that final day of judgment when God returns. And in that, verse 18 of, of chapter 1, it says, The whole earth then will be consumed by the fire of his jealousy. I, I love that. Remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago. The idea that God is je- He's not jealous of you. God isn't jealous of what you got like we get jealous of one another God's jealous for you. Now, that that picture of how much God loves us uh, by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete, yes, a horrifying end to all the inhabitants of the earth. that will be at that time, in that moment when the tribulation is over and God restores all things to himself. Now, you want me to really blow your mind? Zephaniah chapter 2, the first part of verse 4 says this, for Gaza will be abandoned, and Ashkelon will become a ruin. Can I tell you something? The, the Gaza of the Old Testament, it was the, the capital city of, of the Philistines. The Philistines were the, the greatest enemy of Israel. You remember the whole David and Goliath? Goliath was the great giant Philistine, right? They, they were Israel's worst enemy at that time. In the New Testament, we see Gaza referenced once again. It was actually on the road to Gaza where Philip shared the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you recall that in Acts? And the ancient city of Gaza is directly underneath the same city of Gaza we see in the news today. The same place, that same enemy of God. Now, I'm not going to camp there. I just said I wanted to blow your mind for a second, right? Uh, Let's keep reading. Let's jump into chapter 2, Zephaniah. Beginning in verse 1, let's look in it. If all that's coming, if that's the day of the Lord that one day we'll see, well, what's God's immediate response to the people? And here we see it. He says this, gather yourselves together. Gather together, undesirable nation, before the decree takes effect and the day passes like chaff, before the burning of the Lord's anger overtakes you, before the day of the Lord's anger overtakes you. Seek the Lord, all oh, you humble of the earth, who carry out what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. Well, here we see now God's, God's purpose. We, we see God's, God's heart not to destroy with fire, but to refine with fire, Right? God was seeking a remnant, a remnant to repent. Oh, if just, if just a few would then, would then turn from their wicked ways and would repent before it's too late. We see here, even in the midst of God's great judgment, and He is the great and fair judge, there will be judgment, but even in the midst of judgment, love. Even at a time when His, his people are worshiping Him and these and heinous other goddesses and foreign gods, not only justice, but, but love. And isn't that just a foreshadow of the gospel to come, what Christ came to do? He took justice for us. Why? Because God loves us. Israel now, they've basically been wayward from God since the great exodus. They have, they've turned from him, and time and time again, we see that great reversal, and then they repent, and they come back, but continually... They, re- they turn away from God. And yet through it all, God's still watching. Through it all, God is still waiting and yearning for their return. And so we see not only the condemnation here, but, but also God's desire for restoration. Verse 3 says this, that, that God desires you to be, notice, concealed or, or hidden on that great day of wrath. you remember my opening and I said, Zephaniah's name means what it it means that jehovah the lord hides and i said we would see where that that plays out later, in 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 his prophecy Well, we're reminded then that that's god's desire for us that that we would be hidden from that day of wrath in his grace you see today we're kind of in that what what we refer to often is the, the already but not yet right meaning this Christ came. We understand the advent of Christmas. We understand that, that God gave His one and only Son. We understand that, that Jesus went to the cross for our sins. We understand that, that He died and rose again on the third day. We're on this side of the cross, right? We understand the advent of Jesus. We're in the already, but not yet. He's coming again, but He hadn't yet. So, so, so we live in, in that, that in-between place of Jesus' coming. And friends, can I tell you something? Wherever you fall on that whole, uh, I'm pre tribulation, I'm mid trib, I'm post trib, I'm I, I think, you know, we're talking about the rapture of the church, when, when the people will be pulled out. Will it happen before? Will it happen in the middle? Will, will it happen at the very end? Is it already happening? Why, uh, historical, all these different things, regardless of what you believe, we all need to be hidden by God's grace at some point. And we all need to be ready. At all times, we must be covered from our sins. Because you can't hide from your sins. Only the blood of Jesus can hide them for you, can cover them. That's what God is talking about to us today. On the day of your judgment, when that time comes as a believer, when you appear before that, that beam of seat of Christ, and all must rise, when that time is true for you, We're told that God will open the book on your life to see all that you've done while in the body, both good and bad. It's all there. It's all exposed. Everything you've done, God will open that book and He will look at your face to see all that you've done, good and bad. But as a believer, every page will be dripping with the blood of Jesus Christ dripping with it, that that he doesn't see our sins, but he sees the sacrifice of his son and our Savior. That's how we're covered. Your page is covered. Your sin is covered. He doesn't see your sin any longer. Let's close out here in my time. Zephaniah chapter 3, I believe, is one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. I'm going to begin in verse 9. And read through verse 17. God speaking through Zephaniah says, For I will then restore pure speech to the people so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him with a single purpose. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my supplicants, my dispersed people will bring an offering to me. On that day, you will not be put to shame because of everything you've done in rebellion against me. For then I will remove from among you your jubilant, arrogant people, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. I will leave a meek and humble people among you, that, have that remnant, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will no longer do wrong or tell lies. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. If you've got a place to do it, you can put Revelation fourteen five there that, that speaks of this very thing. They will pasture and, and lie down with nothing to make them afraid. Sing for joy, daughter Zion. Shout loudly, Israel. Be glad and celebrate with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord is among you. You need no longer fear harm. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. You know, it's been said that Zephaniah 3.17 is the, the John 3.16 of the, of the entire Old Testament. And notice, I, I want us to just focus out, out of all that said, just if we could wrap our minds for a moment around verse 17. First of all, it says that he's a, a warrior. He is a warrior. That, that Hebrew word there for warrior is, is, is this idea of a mighty one. Uh, someone who, who has no equal. It's what the Philistines uh, thought of their great warrior, Goliath, only to see him fall. But here he reminds us: this is the mighty one. This is the warrior of God. He has no equal. I love that because God's a, my, my God, my, my Jesus, listen, he, he's not some mamby-pamby, weak thing. That we, he's a warrior. He's a warrior that has no equal in this world, a warrior that cannot be defeated. And there's no battle, friend, that he won't fight for you. Jesus is a warrior to the extent he even defeated Death. He defeated the cross, the worst that this world has, the the worst that Satan can do for us. Jesus defeated even that. He's a warrior, a mighty one, the only one. And he's willing to fight, to go to battle for you. See, he's a warrior, but notice it says, a warrior who saves. That's his calling in life. That's his desire for you. He'll go to battle for your sin so that you can be saved. I love that. That idea of of your God, my God, that that personal God, Jesus Christ, who who went to battle, went to the cross for you. He didn't sin, you sinned. You couldn't take the cross, so he took it for you because he's the mighty warrior. And now he's willing to go to battle with you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. That same warrior lives inside of us as a believer. And so when we face temptation and when we face sin, we face it with a warrior by our side. We don't have to give up. We don't have to give in because Jesus Christ is with us. He's with us. Verse 14 there. uh, Sing for joy, daughter of Zion. Shout loudly. We sang that just a little while ago. That makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? That we would sing about God. We would sing to God. We would sing for God. But 17. Now, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? God actually rejoices. God sings over you as a believer. I've tried all week. How, how can I understand it? How, how can I share it? How can I make you understand the, the depth, the breadth, the, the love uh, of that statement? I've asked, I don't know how many people, what does that mean to you? It's one of my wife's favorite passages. I, I mean, Corey and I have talked about I've talked to so many people. What does that mean to you? And everybody comes to that same place. It's just hard to believe. The God of the universe, rejoice over me. He knows everything about me, and He cries over my, or excuse me, He sings over my salvation. It's the only passage in all the Bible that talks about God singing. We, we see Him communicating with people. We see Him walking in the garden. We see all kinds of things about God, but, but only here do we get this glimpse Of how much he loves us, that he would rejoice over sinners like us, that that he would sing over our victory over death. Friends, the day will come. That day that Joel spoke about, that that day that Zephaniah speaks of, the day of the Lord will come. When God is going to say, That's enough, that's enough. And like a bailiff in a courtroom, his angels are going to cry out, all rise. And the only question will be, how will we appear in his presence? In his court, God's either going to sing over you (laughs) or he's going to sweep you into judgment. What will it be for you? Have you received salvation? Are you hidden in His grace through the person of Jesus Christ? And if you've not, friend, would you make that decision right now? To say, when that time comes, I don't want to be swept away. I want my God to sing over me. Let's pray. Father, we love You. And our best singing, our best expressions of love can't compare how much you love us. As a father, this week of Thanksgiving, we we start by just saying to the best of our ability, thank you for loving us, creating us, sending your son to save us. God, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know that salvation, to be hidden in your presence, to hear your voice singing over their life and rejoicing Pray right now, they would say, God, save me. In the name of Jesus, forgive my sins. And for all of us here today, God, may we be people who not only worship you on Sunday morning, may it never be said that we were like the Jews of old who were syncretistic in all all the things we worship. We worship only one, holy God, who is our warrior goes to battle on our behalf and covers our sins. It's in his name we pray.